The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at fantasyfootball@cbsi.com. at cbsi.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go! Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. It's never too early for rankings and projections. We're going to get into the 2020 rankings today. I actually am going to have to defend Lamar Jackson as a top 20 overall pick. Can you believe that, listeners? You're all thinking, oh, these analysts are crazy. Of course he's a top 20 overall pick. Is Austin Eckler a top 20 overall pick? Someone might think that he is. And we'll get into uh, Heath Cummings' projections as well and do a little bit of news and notes and some emails at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. I'm Adam Azer, joined by Ben Schrager and Heath Cummings. Heath if there has been one projection so far, as you've started your initial projections, that has really stood out like, whoa, I can't believe this, what would it be? It was definitely on the Atlanta Falcons receiving core. The first run of the projections had Calvin Ridley at 10.4 touchdowns and Julio Jones at 7.8 touchdowns. And it's super frustrating because the only thing we can really use is what's happened in the past. And you look at Ridley has scored 17 times on 185 targets in two years. It takes Julio Jones three years to score 17 times. So (laughs) I definitely will adjust those towards each other. I might at some point in actually displayed projections have Calvin Ridley projected for more touchdowns than Julio Jones. And I'll feel stupid for it. Why? Ben? I think that's perfectly reasonable. Calvin Ridley will probably score more touchdowns than Julio Jones, who I think scored four touchdowns in his first three games and then didn't score again until like week, what, 15 against the 49ers? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with that projection at all. I mean, Julio is still going to be projected as a better receiver for you, but I could easily see Calvin scoring more touchdowns next year. Well, I could see it happening. I just, when you've got one guy, again, looking at the rest of the projections, you've got one guy with 157 targets, 99 catches for 1500 yards and the other one has 77 catches for a thousand yards and then there's that type of disparity between their touchdowns i'll probably just smush them together a little bit yeah but at the same time you're using julio jones career numbers and the touchdowns really aren't there any year so it it does make a bit of sense and i understand putting them a little closer together but like i said ridley could definitely score more touchdowns than julio and would not surprise any of us okay let's get to promotion here because holy cow What a week we have coming up for you on this podcast, but also on CBS Sports HQ. So we'll be in in Miami in a mad media scrum uh, on Radio Row. We will be doing CBS Sports HQ Fantasy Football Today, the live video show, Tuesday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. If you want to watch it, you got to download the CBS Sports HQ app. It is free. You don't have to sign up or anything like that. Just download CBS Sports HQ. You can watch it on your Roku, on your Apple TV, your Amazon Fire, any connected device. Watch on CBSSportsHQ.com if you want, but watch it on your TV. It's better. And we'll be doing the live show. Now, we're going to have amazing guests. Ben Schrager, tell them who we're going to talk to next week in Miami. I'm most excited to talk to Juju. 
but we're talking to Juju, we're talking to Savon Diggs, we're talking to the bus, Jerome Bettis, Dan Marino. So guests are ranging all over the place. But I think the Juju conversation will be real interesting. I'm curious to see what he has to say about James Washington, whether he thinks there's a breakout potential there or Johnson or what's going on next year with that Steelers receiving core. I'm curious to see how he feels about us naming him the best NFL player to host Saturday Night Live that he would be. You know, so we'll see. Maybe that's in his future. Maybe we can get that going. Let's get that trending, I guess. So again, that's uh, 10 a.m. Eastern from Radio Row on CBS Sports HQ, Tuesday through Friday. Tune in. We'll also have three, I think we'll have four podcast episodes next week, including you're going to hear from the Pick 6 guys. They're going to do a preview. Heath's going to be on that, give you some DFS advice. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about the Super Bowl, obviously, but also more general fantasy topics. And hopefully we'll be able to interview some cool players, some writers, and get some sound for you. Also, if you have Amazon Alexa, you can say uh, you can ask Alexa to play FFT, play fantasy football today. Just tell Alexa to play fantasy football today, and that's an easy way to listen to our podcast. And we like Alexa. I have a cousin named Alexa. She's wonderful. Let's get to some rankings disputes. So before we get into the projections, we'll do some rankings disputes. We all had to submit top 20s, overall top 20s, uh, close to a month ago, I guess, several weeks ago. And I'm going to let Ben Schrager cue it up because he picked the ones that he thought were interesting that were worth debating. So what's our first rankings dispute, Ben? Our first one is Lamar Jackson being in the top 20. Only one person had Lamar in the top 20, and that was Adam. Adam, I want to hear why you have Lamar in the top 20 and why you think that's going to be a valuable pick for you. I want to hear why you didn't watch any football this year. Don't you know who Lamar Jackson is and what he just did, sir? I watched a lot of football over the past 10 years, and none of those quarterbacks (laughs) were able to be the number one quarterback the next year. And everyone's dropping off over four points per game if you're the number one quarterback. So Lamar could still be the number one quarterback, but he's not going to have the crazy season he had this year. I would rather get some value at the running back or wide receiver position. I just think it's really something that like last year coming into this year, we'd pretty much decided we're not taking any quarterbacks in the top 20. And now you want to take two quarterbacks in the top 20. Well, let's just stick with one and let's just stick with Lamar Jackson. Well, I, wait, I think, uh, we, I think you should make it clear after the what's happened in the playoffs, because like when you've put this top 20 together, that was after week 17, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, uh, I, think it was, I think it was before week. I think it was after week 16. It might've been right after week 16. Yes. You were taking Lamar Jackson over Patrick Mahomes in 2020. Correct. Are you still taking Lamar Jackson over Patrick Mahomes in 2020? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, w- I would in a league that was only four points per pass touchdown, but there's not any chance that I would in a league that's six. I mean, that's fair. And, and Mahomes. So, well, let's start with this. Let's say we could play the season again and Lamar Jackson does exactly what he did. Where does he deserve to be ranked? I, I would say number two overall. I would say McCaffrey should be the first pick and Lamar Jackson the second pick. How about you? Um, I yeah. If you told me he's going to have the exact same season, um, I'd say probably that's about that's a good range. Yeah, I mean, I would have him at three behind Michael Thomas. Yeah, maybe that for fair totally. I mean, that those were the three in consideration, right? So, so you said Ben that he's going to lose that he'll lose at least four based on history. He'll lose uh, lose at least four points per game. Okay. So that would drop him from 31.5 points per game at a six-point-per-passing touchdown league to 27.5 fantasy points per game. The number 10 running back in 2019 in PPR on a per-game basis averaged 15.3 fantasy points per game. 
in CBS leagues. That was Mark Ingram. So this year, Lamar Jackson averaged more than double RB10 on a per-game basis. Even if you take off four points, that's 27.5 to 15.3. Okay, that is 12 more fantasy points per game. In PPR, he's not even catching any passes. So, you know, we've never seen a quarterback have a historic season and then do it again. Uh, like Peyton Manning didn't do it. Patrick Mahomes didn't do it. Dan Marino didn't do it. Breeze, I guess, pretty much came close. But, but you know, they, the hill, he will drop off. But we've also never seen a quarterback do this with rushing. And that's what, you know, his, his passing totals were fairly modest. I mean, 3,100 yards. He did have 36 touchdown passes. He led the NFL. I could see him losing passing touchdowns. I could see him gaining rushing touchdowns. He only had seven of them, despite having the, uh, I think, the seventh most rushing yards in the, sixth most rushing yards in the NFL. So I, when push I, comes to shove, I don't know if I would actually take him 17th overall, but it would be close. And I, I can certainly justify him as the, a top 20. The problem with your comparing Lamar Jackson to Mark Ingram is that Baker Mayfield was 10% better than Mark Ingram last year. Like, that's completely and totally irrelevant. I can find quarterbacks that were a lot better than Mark Ingram on the waiver wire. I, how he compared to the 10th best running back, all the quarterbacks are better than the 10th best running back. I understand, but he was twice as good. So you're talking about who are you taking in that spot? You know, you're going to be taking 20th overall. It's going to be around RB10 in a PPR league. Should be about 10 running, maybe maybe even RB12 or something like that. Right. Maybe some tight ends, wide receivers. He's He was twice as good as that player. That, I, and, I understand, but the quarterback that was taken in round 11 was probably 10 times better than the running back taken in round 11. But... Those guys aren't starters. I, I don't know that that matters. I, what I mean, I'm saying is, go if ahead. you look at the quarterbacks in the top six this year, they're all over 24 points per game. That's significantly more than Mark Ingram scored, and you can get those guys significantly later than well, first or second round. I mean, Lamar was double digits rounds, right? Dak. Dak was double digit rounds. Um, Wilson and Winston weren't that much higher. Like most of the quarterbacks were available, and the top five quarterbacks this year were available after the sixth or seventh round, and probably will be next yeah. year too. But the difference is he has this floor because of his rushing ability that none of the other quarterbacks. His floor might actually be lower. Like Lamar Jackson has to be the most likely quarterback to miss time with injury next year if he's going to you run know, the ball 175 times. He didn't get hurt last year. He didn't get hurt this year, and he ran the ball a lot both seasons. So we have we have a I much mean, larger NFL sample size of running quarterbacks than just the last two years. All right, fine. I guess agree to disagree. Ben, what's next? What's next? Oh goodness. So Dave has Chris Carson in the top twenty. No one else has him in the top twenty. Dave's not here to defend himself. Heath, what is your argument against Chris Carson in the top twenty? I'd like to see him healthy. Um, I'm. I think I mostly agree with what Ben Gretsch said on our last podcast that I don't necessarily feel like they're going to give Chris Carson the workload they were giving him before he got hurt. And even if they did, I wouldn't be sure that it'd be worth a top 15 pick. But he's a he's a fine round three running back, assuming that he's 100% when we get to time of drafting. I think he's underrated, but it'll depend on Rashad Penny's health, I think, more than Chris Carson's health. If Penny's ready to go, I assume... Carson's workload will drop a little bit. We talked about him, I think, yesterday um, because he, he, he before he got hurt, he was second in the NFL in carries. And if you're second in the NFL in carries and you're going to be on a good offense, you're going to get those touchdowns like he's going to get most likely. He's, he might end up as a top 10 running back even in PPR. 
you know, but I can understand ranking him outside. No huge disputes here, Ben. I think we sh- should move on to the next one. It's a lot spicier. Next one, Dave and I are both involved. Joe Mixon is in our top 20. Joe Mixon is not in any other top 20. Did you skip Austin Eckler? This is not, this is, yeah, you skipped the most skipped interesting one. You skipped the one, one that Adam ben. wanted to do. I have Eckler yeah. up next, but yes, yeah. let's talk Mixon and then let's talk Eckler. Okay, fine. Um, the problem is I did my top 20 based on PPR and Giovanni Bernard's still under contract next year. And they, as good as Joe Mixon has been catching the football, he just does not get the number of receptions needed to be a top 12 running back in PPR formats. And I'm not certain that the offense is necessarily going to be a lot better this year than it has been the last two or three years. Joe Burrow, I fully expect, will be a Cincinnati Bengal. In fact, I even ranked him. I fully expect has more. I wouldn't even say fully expect. He absolutely has more upside than Andy Dalton. But the odds of Joe Burrow being better than Andy Dalton in his rookie season are probably 50-50. He might be worse. Yeah. Now, what does Mixon being a top five running back in PPR in the second half of the season tell you? He what he has done it for half of a season in his three seasons in the NFL. Yeah. He in those last eight games, Mixon was the number four running back in both non and full PPR, but he only had sixteen catches. He had eight hundred and seventeen rushing yards and five touchdowns. Uh, but but also he did it against really tough competition, which was impressive. And he will have that tough competition next year. I mean, he plays in a division with some good run defenses. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, A.J. Green didn't play the entire season, and Mixon only had 35 catches. So that stinks. And Bernard only had 30 catches. It's not and, like Gio was always on the field getting the passes caught. And he, like, in those final eight games, he faced the Raiders and the Dolphins and the Browns twice. So I don't think he, like, his great finish to the end of the season wasn't against really good competition. In, well, in no, fact, well, no, because he did well against Baltimore. He he did well against Pittsburgh, as I recall, and he was actually he had like the he had like the runs or whatever in the Dolphins game, uh, which was a hugely disappointing game. And the Raiders actually weren't that bad against the run, but fine. Your the Browns were awful against the run. So like he had three hundred and fifty yards and three touchdowns against the Browns in two games. That was most of the yeah. reason he was a top four running back. He also right. played over sixty five percent of the snaps. In this stretch, and he was over 65% of the snaps for the entirety of 2018 when he was a top 10 running back. So I was encouraged by that because we thought Gio was going to take more of the work, and he was playing some passing downs, but Mixon was on the field more, and we saw this year catches didn't matter as much for finishing in the top 10 for PPR. So that's that's the one thing that keeps Mixon in my top 20, but I totally understand the, the being scared of Gio Bernard and the lack of catches. But speaking so of who catches, did you put, who, 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 who did you put Mixon ahead of? Because I, I think the question is is probably upside. Like he's really solid. He's going to get a ton of work. He's going to get pretty much all of their goal line carries. So that's awesome. But it, does he have the upside of some of the other guys that are in that range? So who did you I mean, put Mixon ahead of? For running backs over Josh Jacobs, over Miles Sanders. Sanders would have more upside, but I have more confident in Mixon's floor. I have him ahead of both those guys. And then in terms of wide receivers, DJ Moore, Kenny Galladay, Tyreek Hill. But you had him ahead of Chubb? I have Chubb one spot ahead of Mixon. You have him ahead of Fournette. Ahead of Fournette. Yeah. That one. I, I would have him ahead of Fournette probably in non-PPR, not in PPR. I don't, I'm not as confident about Fournette's catching ability past te- attempts towards him this year with a new offensive coordinator. It may help him, but his past 
I was really encouraged by Fournette's passability this year. I don't know if it's repeatable next year. That's the only reason I have Bixon ahead of him. All right, let's get the Austin Eckler debate going. Austin Eckler will be a top 20 overall pick, says Heath Cummings. And no one else. And absolutely no one else. (laughs) So this is like the Chargers are probably the most difficult team because their quarterback is not under contract. Melvin Gordon is not under contract. Hunter Henry is not under contract. And they have an offensive coordinator that I'm not even totally sure how to pronounce his name and has eight games under his belt and doesn't even have a page on pro football reference yet. Um, Steve Shane Station. And so like the, I, the way <laughs> I go about it, and it's one of the things that we'll probably talk about later when we get into the projections more, is I'm looking at player history. I'm looking at opportunity. I'm looking at play calling history. There's not a lot of the latter. But when you look at their final eight games, they threw the ball to running backs about 33% of the time. That was after they made the offensive coordinator change. You look at Eckler's games without Melvin Gordon. He was on pace for about 100 targets and 224 carries. You look at his season from last year, he had 132 carries, 108 targets, 1,550 total yards, and 11 touchdowns. Right now, I'm projecting Eckler and Justin Jackson to own this backfield. I think there's a chance they go add someone else. I don't really think there's a chance they go they re-sign Melvin Gordon or add someone of his caliber to take that share of the rushing workload. I've got Eckler projected for 151 carries, so 19 more than last year. I've got him projected for 106 targets, so two fewer than last year. And I've got him projected as a top five PPR running back. What do you think, Ben? I don't think it's totally crazy if we have this discussion in July and it's just Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson in the backfield. And, it, and it, like they are definitely going to add someone. It's first off, is this person definitely better than Justin Jackson or is that their lead back? And then second off, is this person a threat to take 60% of the carries like Melvin Gordon did in the second half? Or 70% of the carries even. So I, I think like we know the Chargers are going to add a running back, probably going to add two to three running backs. They're going to draft at least one. I would say almost for sure they're going to sign a veteran. It's how good is that veteran. I agree. And I mean, Eckler having more targets than Chris Godwin this year, very encouraging with the new off- offensive coordinator who loves to throw to running backs. I would be really encouraged if they went out and signed Tom Brady, who you know loves targeting his running backs. Right. That, that I mean, they looked like the Patriots in the second half last year in terms of how they were distributing targets. The other thing that I will say about Eckler is, like, it. I know last year was the first year he was, like, awesome in fantasy. He has been awesome as a pass-catching running back since he came into the league. If you average... Eight yards per reception, you're doing a pretty good job. Nine yards per reception, you're close to elite. His last only three seasons, 10.3 yards per reception, 10.4, 10.8. He catches 80% of the balls thrown his way, and there's no reason to think that he's not going to get a ton of targets. Yeah, he's really good. And in his first four games of the season before Melvin Gordon came back, he was the number three running back in non-PPR, number two in PPR. And in the last 12 games with Melvin Gordon... He fell to number 16 in non-PPR, but he was actually, Eckler was the number five running back in PPR uh, with Melvin Gordon. And he had 76 carries in those 12 games, but he had 68 catches. Only Christian McCaffrey had more among running backs. Uh, The yards per catch is always great, as Heath mentioned. The thing that scares me is 
zero rushing touchdowns with Melvin Gordon, five receiving touchdowns. And I'm going to say it all the time. Receiving touchdowns from running backs are just, you just cannot trust them. It is a fluky, deceiving stat. And pass-catching running backs disappoint us every single year. So he has to have a bigger role in the running game than a guy like Tariq Cohen, than a guy like James White. And he did last year. But he needs it. Yeah. Well, he he had had 76, he had 76 carries in 12 games with Melvin Gordon. So is that really enough? I mean, a hundred. No, probably not. I don't. Do you think Melvin Gordon's coming back? I mean, I kind of do, but I I might be alone on that. I, I, but, but no, but let's assume he doesn't because he, the, certainly a year, like certainly in September, it just didn't seem like he was going to, he certainly didn't want to. But, um, if they, if they bring in a third round pick, something like that, how many carries do you think Eckler would get? If it's that, I think that's a good line to draw. If it's a third round pick, I would tr- probably drop him. I've got him at one fifty one now. I might drop him to the one twenty range. Um, if it was a second round pick, then he might fall back to where he was two years ago, around a hundred carries. And that's not that's still more than what you normally see from Tariq Cohen and James White, but it's not quite enough. Um, if it's yeah. fourth round pick or worse, then he might actually go up. I guess my only question, Heath, is that the 100 carries from two years ago, what's the breakdown of with Melvin Gordon and without Melvin Gordon? Because I, I would bet he was on like a 70-carry pace or something like that with Melvin Gordon. I'm just throwing that number out there. But remember, right, but I, he got again, future work. If Melvin Gordon resigns, then I'm going to have to reevaluate everything. I don't think he's probably going yeah. to. If they let him walk, I don't think the odds of the next running back being Melvin Gordon-esque are very good. Let's, do, uh, let's do one Melvin more. Yeah, All right, one, <laughs> they should. One more. One more. Adam, I want to hear from you. Amari Cooper in your top 20. Oof. Give me two reasons why. It was it was early. I hadn't slept much at that point. I was buying Christmas presents. Uh, <laughs> no, well, because he was a top three or four wide receiver in his first nine games. He was third in non-PPR, fourth in PPR. He was on pace for 1,500 yards and 12 touchdowns on only 126 targets. Uh, and then the last seven games were were pretty lousy. But there have been injuries, you know. There were games that he just left early. The Jets game, uh, he barely played. He played hurt during the Eagles game. Dak got hurt later in the year. I This one, really, I have to move him down, especially since I had him behind Devontae Adams. That can't happen. But I probably will be the highest guy in Amari Cooper because I think we saw when everything was right, when he was healthy, when Dak was healthy, he really finally busted out. He was really that great elite wide receiver. So I certainly think he needs to be a top 10 receiver and probably a late. I'm thinking more like 24, 25 overall, like going in that turn instead of top 20. Something I'm going to do once all the projections are done, because I still have one division left to do, is go through and just put together the um, split montage for Amari Cooper throughout his career, because he's had at least three half seasons where he was a top three or four wide receiver. Um, it's just kind of oh, what you and think often, so? often like in Dallas, la- not last year, but the year before the second half of the season, he was a top five wide receiver and it was all based on two or three games. And he had a couple yeah. of those in Oakland as well, where he'd have these stretches where he wasn't actually consistently good over eight games, but two or three of the games were so incredible that you could look at the eight-game split and say, wow, he was a top-five wide receiver for half the season. Yeah. I, he's a t- he's a borderline number one wide receiver for me, probably better suited as a uh, number two on your roster. There, there's three guys that I will have ahead of him most likely in the early projections that Adam will be very 
upset about probably. Um, DJ Moore, Cortland Sutton, and Terry McLaurin. Yeah, I mean, I took a little uh, bit of a deeper look at Cooper's splits, and every year of his career, he's had five games under 10 PPR points. 10 PPR points is not a lot. That's pretty terrible for a no, receiver. It's bad. But 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 here's the thing. I, I, I really don't want to look at his Oakland career. I just he's got a much better situation now. He's got a better quarterback, uh, just a better situation. Now, I don't love the targets. He basically had very he basically had the same amount of targets as Michael Gallup. So I he needs to get more targets. Uh, I got to really dive in and break that down in the games he left with an injury and whatnot. But, I, you know, 119 targets in 16 games, that's not good enough. Heath, the only one that I think uh, I vehemently disagree with is is McLaurin. But, no, more in Sutton. Uh, but Sutton, I, you know, we can get into your projections, but I'll talk about Sutton with Drew Locke. It was not, it was not a good combination I'm, uh, I, in the final I, five games. I'm just going to randomly find these from out the show now. In Amari Cooper's rookie year, from week two through week ten, he was on a 90-13-78 pace. Not easily, as good as last year. Easily a top five wide receiver from week two through week 10. Oh, um, I don't know. I don't know about 45 that. 45 balls for 685 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, not as good as the pace he was on in this nine-game stretch, which was 1,512 on, I think, 96 catches. All right. We will get into uh, projections, including Cortland Sutton. Heath is apparently quite high on Corbin Sutton. Why shouldn't he be? He's very good. We've got some news and notes. We'll talk a little dynasty in a bit. Your emails at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Eli Manning is retiring. Be- Wait, Ben Schrager. I don't even think I know who your favorite football team is. Is that Grew weird? up an Eagles fan. Pretty neutral right now, but I spent a lot of time watching Eli Manning in the local market of New Jersey. In Amari Cooper's second year, he had an eight-game stretch <laughs> where he was on pace for 104 catches and 1,574 yards. That's pretty. How many touchdowns? He only had two touchdowns in that stretch. Well, there you go. He had tw- he had he was on pace for 12 in this nine-game stretch. So still better, still better. Okay, sorry, an Eagles fan saw Eli Manning. Do you think Eli Manning should be a Hall of Famer? Yes, I think his numbers are pretty, pretty pedestrian throughout the regular season, but his playoff performances, I think, in and of itself, plus the longevity, make him a Hall of Famer. I don't know that I would necessarily vote for him, which is weird to say, but I think he should be in in general, and I think he will be a Hall of Famer. No, Without a doubt, Eli Manning, like somebody needs to be the floor, the, bo- the worst quarterback in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> And Eli Manning is the perfect candidate, and I look for, he, he deserves all the accolades. Great career. Congratulations. I agree with just about everything that was said. I don't know if he's the worst quarterback. He'll be among the worst regular season quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame if and when he gets there. Uh, ben, I don't know why you wouldn't vote for him. Maybe you'd be the one guy who also wouldn't vote for Derek Jeter. Oh, no, come on. Uh, don't compare those okay. two, although there are some similarities. In Amari Cooper's fourth season... <laughs> He had an eight-game stretch where he was on pace for only 1,068 yards, but 12 receiving touchdowns. Not as good. Not as good. 1,512. Find me a stretch where he was on pace for 1,512. I've shown you 1,500, and I've shown you 12, but not in the same stretch. Exactly. 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 That shows you he's just in a better situation now. He's a better quarterback. He's capable of better numbers. 
Okay, and uh, Miami GM Chris Greer says he fully expects Ryan Fitzpatrick to be back in 2020. We also got a report that their owner, Stephen Ross, really likes Joe Burrow. But uh, let's, I mean, if Fitzpatrick's a starting quarterback for the Dolphins next year, that's a good thing, right? Definitely for Parker. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Um, I, I wouldn't expect Parker to repeat what he did this year. It That whole situation is going to be interesting with Chan Gailey there. He has spent his last four years, I believe, as a play caller with Ryan Fitzpatrick as his quarterback. Um, one interesting thing, I know we're going to get to Gasicki a little bit later. I can just bring it up now since we're talking about the Dolphins because Fitzpatrick did kind of lean on Gasicki a little bit towards the end of the year after Preston Williams got hurt. Fitzpatrick did have some moments with Charles Clay. Uh, Chan Gailey has called plays in the NFL 14 years. One of those years, a tight end on his team had more than 75 targets. Only three times did a tight end even have 50 targets. This is a guy who was running the spread offense really before anyone else was. And it will be interesting if Gasicki's going to just be a slot wide receiver in this offense or like most of the tight ends in under Gailey, he's just not going to be any good. By the way, here are your top four quarterbacks in the final six games of the season in six-point-per-passing-touchdown leagues. One, Drew Brees. Two, Lamar Jackson, who sat out Week 17 and actually averaged almost five more points per game than Drew Brees. Three, Ryan Tannehill. Four, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Did you see Fitzpatrick's matchups for the final games of the season? I did. Cleveland, Philadelphia, Jets, Giants, Bengals, Patriots. 25 points against the Patriots. But yes, he certainly took In Amari Cooper's fourth season... He had a nine-game stretch where he was on Ooh. pace for 87 catches, 1,387 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Nope. nope. That's close, but no cigar. He, so so he basically does it every year. It's never been quite as good as it was, was this, last year. Right. But he's I, he's going to have an eight-game stretch next year where he is just one of the best wide receivers in football. I have zero doubt about that. He'll probably finish a little bit higher than what you're going to project him for because you are still considering him an Oakland wide receiver. He's a little bit better than he was in Oakland. Yeah, I, I'm going to have him right around 15th probably. At receiver? Yeah. Okay, too low. Uh, Heath's projections. When we come back, we'll take a quick break here on Fantasy Football Today, get into Baker Mayfield, Damian Williams, uh, Cortland Sutton, and more. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So he's going to continue to roll out the projections. Baker Mayfield, not a top 20 quarterback. Is that still with, with another division left to project, by the way? Um, it's been a running joke so far that, like, will there be any quarterbacks that I project lower than Baker Mayfield in the first run? These won't, like, I will adjust where Baker Mayfield is. After I get through all of the teams, and I'll I'll fudge the numbers a little bit because I don't want to rank him below almost everyone. But so far, we're through seven of eight divisions, and Sam Darnold is the only quarterback projected for fewer fantasy points than Baker Mayfield. 
<laughs> now, so wait, which division? Which division do you have left? The NFC West. So it's going to stay this way. <laughs> um, he, this is more of less about Baker Mayfield, more of an insight into how I build my projections and what looks bad for him. Um, like I said, it's a combination of what has the player done in his career and play calling history and his new head coach and pres- assume the guy that's going to control how they run the offense was the guy leading Minnesota's offense, which is one of the more run heavy offenses in the league. So for Mayfield, we've got a quarterback who has over the course of two years now been slightly below average as a passer. Very, I want to, you want to call him league average. I'm fine with that. In offenses that ran more than we expected and played slower than we expected. And his new head coach has led an offense that ran way more than we expected and played way slower than we would expect. And so it's hard for me to get behind projecting Mayfield for anything more than below average pass attempts and average production. And he doesn't run like you, you have to either be really good as a passer or run. And he doesn't look like either right now. So what do you just think about this argument? Because, yes, they, they bring in Stefanski and the Vikings have the uh, third fewest pass attempts per game last year. But the Vikings also were fifth in scoring defense and the Browns were 20th. We actually thought the Browns had the makings of a good defense, so maybe they'll have some improvement next year. It was not a good season for them. I don't understand why they were so bad against the run. Uh, but you, you can only – like, it's easy for the Vikings to go out and be super run-heavy because they have a good defense every single year. It's not going to be the case necessarily for the Browns, so you know, does that impact your projections? Uh, yes, but I will say that you said the Browns were 20th in scoring defense last year, and Baker threw the ball 41 fewer times than the average NFL offense over the course of the season. So he was still like 5% below average in terms of pass volume. So... Like I'm not I think Kirk Cousins may have thrown the ball like four hundred and sixty times or something, something ridiculous last year. Baker was at five thirty four. My initial projection had Baker at five nineteen for pass attempts. But at five hundred and nineteen pass attempts, you've got to be like almost Russell Wilson good to sniff the top twelve. Unless you're running. I, I, well, what is his yards per attempt going to be? It was down to 6.2 this year? Uh, as adjusted, were 6.2. His yards per attempt were 7.2. He's 7.4 for his career. League average last year was 7.5 or 7.6. He, he Even when he was really good, it was 7.7. So that's not too far from average. He does have great weapons, I think. Maybe. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, I, and... Yeah, he, he does have great weapons, and he's still young. And I know if Ben Gretsch were on the show, he'd be talking about the coaching. So hopefully there's a coaching upgrade for him, even if the philosophy is worse. You know, maybe some other things are better. But there there won't be a, a ton of excitement about him. But I think he'll be a popular late-round pick, considering oh, he know, will be one overall he, pick in the draft. He'll be a guy that I rank higher than I project for most of the summer, hoping that he gives me some reason to project him for more fantasy points. But he's also a guy that I'm probably not going. Like, there's way, way, way too many quarterbacks to say. Well, uh, yeah, but I got to take Baker Mayfield because he has, does he have more upside than Matt Ryan? No, no, not not even no close. Way. Does he have more no, upside? No, but Matt, than Ryan, Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan's an elite quarterback. I actually want to talk about 
what you just said. You said, you know, that there are so many quarterbacks. Do you view it that way still? I oh, I don't for know sure. how I, I don't know how I feel about it right now. Uh, I I feel like it's a little more top heavy than it used to be. Here's my t- quarterbacks ten through fourteen in the projections, and I would be happy to draft any of these guys at the end of the draft as my starter or as part of a combination of starters: Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins. Yeah, okay, that's I'm not talking about that range though, because in most leagues. 14 quarterbacks are off the board fairly quickly. Like, you, That's you know what 10 I mean? Through 14, You're not getting... And I have not yet ranked Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Jared Goff, or Jimmy Garoppolo. Russell Wilson? I haven't ranked him yet. That's right. No the NFC West. So two of those right, quarterbacks. Okay. Will, that's probably going to be 12 through 16 or 13 through 17. Yeah. Who's 20? Random number. Uh, Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, he stinks. Like, he's not going to be my—he's definitely not going to— I don't even know if he's going to be the Colts quarterback. He's not going to be my starting quarterback. You well, know, in most no, leagues— No, I don't think you should— But I, you're not saying Baker would be your starting quarterback either. Um, but Ben well, I'm saying I would definitely will probably take, be 20th. Uh, okay. Uh, but I would definitely take Baker over Jacoby Brissett. I think most people yeah. would. And, you know, even if the projections don't come out that way, I have a feeling you'd rank it that way, right? Oh, I, I think that's right. Like, I, if I was going to rank Baker Mayfield right now, it'd probably be right above— um, I, I actually have Drew Locke one spot ahead of Brissett, so I would probably put Baker right ahead of Drew Locke. Um, and where's Daniel Jones on there? 14, so he'd be five spots behind Daniel Jones, but you know how much I like, I've always liked Daniel Jones. <laughs> you always like Giants quarterbacks, very consistent. Okay, uh, di- uh, a uh, running back, running back discussion here. You have Devontae Freeman and Damian Williams as top 15 running backs, and Kerryon Johnson is not in your top 25 Devontae, this is PPR, right? So that obviously helps Devontae Freeman. Many things will happen, most notably free agency and the draft, that will change a lot of these numbers. I'm doing this now because we have rankings that come out right after the Super Bowl. As their teams are currently constructed, I think, and Chris Towers tweeted this towards the end of the season, man, it sure looks like all that went wrong with drafting Damian Williams was him not staying healthy because he's been awesome at the end of the season and the playoffs since they've given him the ball and he's stayed healthy. So if is it that far-fetched to think the Chiefs, a team that may be getting ready to pay a quarterback $40 million and have salary cap problems, would just run Damian Williams, Darwin Thompson, and Daryl Williams out there at running back? That's not a bad group. Uh, if that happens, he's probably going to be a top 15 back for me. Freeman is top 15 in PPR. It is a 16-game projection. He did play 14 games next year. I don't know how many games you want to project him for, but I think he's, at the very least, deserves to be viewed as a solid number two running back. And then on I like on Johnson a lot. I think he's very talented. I thought I loved him in college. I don't really believe in this rush offense. I don't think, I think this is probably Patricia's last year there, and I think they're probably not going to trust him to stay healthy. They kind of wanted to be a committee team. They gave him a chance with more of the work. He got hurt again. I don't have much confidence he's going to get a huge chunk of it. So you think Bo Scarborough will have some sort of role next year? Scarborough or a rookie that they draft or a free agent they bring in, they may just bring in a pass catching back. I'm not sure what they're going to do, but I don't. I've got Carry on Johnson at like 240 total touches, and it's hard to be a top 20 running back at that number. Ben, how would you rank those three? Damian Williams, Devontae Freeman, Carry on Johnson. As of right now, Damian Freeman, Carry on. I think 
Damian by far has the most upside. He got really hot at the end of the year, and he was playing all the snaps. Now, Daryl Williams wasn't active, so that kind of hurt. Uh, next year... Well, I, I think it's kind of like what we saw with Green Bay. Aaron Jones was playing all the snaps in the postseason, like just kind of pushed Jamal Williams out of the way. I doubt they want to do that for 16 games. Like I think no, we'll see Damian have to share, and Jones will have to share a little more early in the year, but I do think Williams reasserted himself as clearly the best back in Kansas City. Definitely. I mean, down the stretch last year, he was doing the same thing. This year, down the stretch, over six yards a carry. I think he's going to be really exciting to draft next year, and people are going to be scared to draft him because... They got burned by him this year, and we can kind of take advantage of that. And for Freeman specifically, I think that he was a little bit unlucky last year to only score two rushing touchdowns. Like Part of his game had been how much he got into the end zone. And when I look at touchdown rate, I'm generally looking more at their career touchdown rate than what it was last year. So that's one reason that I would project him higher than where he finished last year. What was scary, though, about Freeman is he was noticeably slower this year less athletic i think there may be a drop off next year and that just from watching the games it seemed like he was not the same running back which is why i'm scared to have him in my top 15 so yeah what's his contract situation is i they owe him I a just, lot of money ugh, i don't know man i yeah so so there's there's encouraging stuff and there's discouraging stuff for freeman he didn't look as good and he wasn't as good he averaged 3.6 yards per carry he'd been pretty darn good basically Every time he touched the ball, you know, throughout his career, he gave him the ball. He did well, but uh, he didn't run the ball that much at the start of the season. When their defense got better in the last five games of the season, he came back from injury and they were giving up about 20 points per game down from about 28 points per game in Freeman's first nine uh, games of the season. So he was on pace for 246 carries and 67 catches. Huge workload. He was getting a lot of work because they were in the game more. They were running the ball and, and playing better defense. So that was good for Freeman, but he still wasn't doing a ton with it. Uh, for Damian Williams, like I just want to know, like what what's going to be different next year? You know, sometimes on this podcast, some of the analysts say, "I just wonder if they're going to save him for the postseason and not use him." And I feel like that pretty much never happens. Except Damian Williams. It may have happened. He was they hurt twice. He, had, he suffered two different injuries. But, but even when he was healthy, he had plenty of games with single-digit carries. You know, they, they brought in LaShawn McCoy before the season started. They did not seem to want to give him the workload that they give him now. And and to be honest with you, even at the end of 2019 and going in, or 2018, rather, and going into the postseason, he wasn't getting that many carries. He was just getting a ton of catches. Uh, so I, I don't know what the workload's going to be. I don't know that they think he can hold up. He's... He never has. He's never been a workhorse. You know, he got hurt. Well, I don't think he's going to be a workhorse. I, but you don't have to be a workhorse in the Kansas City offense to be a top 15 running back. Um, like, you give me two, I guess I said 240 touches for Kerryon Johnson. You give me 200 Damian Williams touches next year in the Kansas City offense, and he's going to be a top 15 running back. All right, wide receiver. You have DJ Moore and Cortland Sutton in the top 12. And Ben, do you have any issues with that? Moore and Cortland Sutton in, in the top 12. No, I love more in the top 12. I have more in my top 10. Sutton for me is borderline top 12. I'm a little scared of his production with Locke. Uh, his yards per target were very high. That was very encouraging. But he struggled. I mean, he did have five plus receptions in half the games. But in the other half of games, he was struggling. So I know you're really high on him, Heath. Why are you so high when the quarterback that he's probably going to have next year didn't really mesh very well with him? Well, I... I think that can be overstated because of how small of a sample size it is. He was still dominating targets. The catch rate wasn't quite as good, but you look at his last four games, 7, 10, 10, 8, in terms of targets with Drew Locke, and they 
like they were probably a little bit better in terms of win loss than I would expect them to be. They won four of their last five games, which could be a little bit of why we saw those receiving numbers be down a little bit. But I was actually kind of impressed with what we saw from Drew Luck as a rookie. I expect him to be better in his second year, like almost all second year quarterbacks are. And Sutton, especially right now, there is just nothing threatening his targets. He is the clear number one. He might be the number two as well. Okay, his 16-game pace with Drew Locke, five games of Drew Locke, 70 catches, 896 yards, six touchdowns on 128 targets. How many targets do you have Sutton projected for? 143. 143. Okay, let's see there. how many top 10 PPR wide receivers had fewer than 130 targets. One... Two, I think three. I think uh, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, and Amari Cooper, who I believe were nine and ten. Godwin was two, and then I think Galladay and Cooper were nine and ten. All right, tight ends, pretty interesting, Heath. Your tight end projections. Um, we've got Dallas Goddard. So yeah, what, what do we got? We have Dallas Goddard and Noah Fant in the top ten. So Goddard, huh? That's a Fant. I understand. I understand the excitement for him. Goddard, really. Yeah, I think you look at what happened with these two. And I don't have, I mean, we talked about it in the last podcast. I don't have Zach Ertz as my number three tight end. I expect this to be more of a timeshare at tight end between the two of them. And when they're both on the field, Zach Ertz draws the majority of the coverage. So Goddard is more efficient on a per target basis. He does not draw as difficult of coverage. And he is still on the upswing of his career and getting better. Ertz has either plateaued, plateaued or is going to start getting worse. So I, I won't have him like as a top six or seven tight end, but Goddard will definitely be inside my top 10. Fans get right behind Goddard, but I do expect him to take a step forward as a second-year tight end. I do think that with them bringing in Pat Shermer, there will be more targets going to the tight ends in Denver. He's got a pretty extensive history of targeting his tight ends. So I expect Fant to take a step forward. I actually thought I would have Hawkinson ahead of Fant. It's not particularly close. Fant is well ahead of Hawkinson. Heath, my biggest issue with Goddard is I think there's three tight ends in that offense. I think Alshon Jeffrey this year was moving around like a tight end. And unfortunately for Goddard, that means that he's splitting three ways. And well, if if we're calling Alshon Jeffrey a tight end, then they have zero wide receivers. So there's right. plenty of targets. They'll just throw it to him 260 times again. I, I think they add a weapon. And I think they're going to be encouraged by an Aguilar or by even a Greg Ward who showed some signs of greatness i just i'm very scared he had six games of seven plus targets i'm not sure that he could do that again with alshon and Ertz playing a full season yeah he had 87 targets last year i've got him at 83 this year i don't think he played 16 games last year if i remember correctly but a uh, slight downgrade in targets but not much and we'll see if they if they go at a true number one wide receiver then I, that'll change my tune dallas goddard played 15 games and i can only think of one time where we were drafting two tight ends in one offense that would be the Patriots with Hernandez and Gronk I mean it's just so unusual um we drafted Gates and Henry the year after Henry scored all those touchdowns right I don't know I don't know if we were drafting Gates at that point and certainly they didn't they weren't good enough that's a good point I think what that 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 was actually the offense that Ben referenced when talking about how much Philadelphia targeted their tight ends that was the most since the New England Patriots. And that was actually, it was more on a percentage basis than the Patriots because the Patriots threw it more that year. I just, and unless they go at a true number one wide receiver, 
I think this is the way their offense runs. And it's not something that was just new last year. If you'll remember, the reason Trey Burton got all that money in Chicago is because he and Zach Ertz were combining for a lot of production back then. So I, I think it's just a two tight end offense. Uh, yeah, but they but he wasn't combining for fantasy relevant production. The only time he was fantasy relevant, Trey Burton, was when Zach Ertz was hurt. And I, I would say that any offense that relies that much on the tight end probably needs better wide receivers, right? They oh, they do. do need better wide. Like that's what I said. If they go add a number yeah. one wide receiver, then it changes things. But right now, Alshon Jeffrey, assuming he doesn't get cut, is their number one wide receiver, and he won't be cut either. Too much dead money. He he might have to restructure. All right, so Ben, uh, we're gonna we're gonna save our dynasty talk until next week with risers and fallers. Uh, let's read some emails. Fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. All right, this one's a very long one. I will read it, but here's the gist. It's from Matt. Matt, good email here. Matt basically came up with his own method of ranking players, and he weights yards very heavily uh, and not touchdowns. So here's the email from Matt. I hear a lot of comments about touchdowns not being predictable, so got me wondering why most analysts don't just analyze yards instead of total points per game. Same deal for those who look at consistency based on points per game. I did my own analysis based on non-PPR, which I play in, and I would love some critique on my methodology. I started with total yards, rushing plus receiving, per game, excluding players who only played a few games. The top wide receivers have an average of six touchdowns less than the top running back, so I took 24 yards per game off the wide receiver numbers to equalize it. Uh, I then looked at the 65th percentile, because 75th was too restrictive and 50th was too far the other way, of all individual game yards scored by the top players and calculated how often each player scored more than that value, giving a consistency percentage. I then multiplied that uh, player's percentage by their yards per game number, and I ranked them. So finding consistency plus yards per game, and I ranked them and came up with this list. McCaffrey, Thomas, Dalvin Cook, Jacobs, four, Zeke, five, Chubb, six, uh, Derrick Henry, Barkley, Fournette, Carson, Julio Jones, Eckler, Kamara, 13, Godwin, 14, DJ Moore, Robert Woods, 16, Aaron Jones, Mike Evans, Miles Sanders, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Joe Mixon, Amari Cooper, Mark Ingram. That's your top 24. So, yeah, I don't know. First glance at this, what do you think about this method of uh, ranking players mostly based on yards and, I guess, consistency? I don't put a lot of weight into consistency, but I do think that it is much better to invest in guys that you feel comfortable with their yardage totals as opposed to shooting for touchdown outliers. And I agree with that. I think the one challenge to this system is that a guy like Devontae Adams or a guy like Aaron Jones, they have both proven that they are going to be scoring more touchdowns. Except than for the, Adams last year. Right, but across his career than the average wide receiver or running back. So Aaron Jones averaging a touchdown for every start he has. So I think touchdown regression is real. I think we should not value touchdowns that much. You should target guys who didn't score a lot the previous year as good value candidates. But I don't think touchdowns should be thrown out entirely. No, don't throw them out. Yeah, and, and we look, I think we as analysts certainly do put more value on yards because if not all of us would have had Aaron Jones in our top 20 I don't know how many of us did if he was in it it was closer to 20 he was the number two running back in non-PPR number three in PPR 
But I do think you can look at a guy and say he's more likely to score touchdowns than another player. For me, it's is he sharing goal line work? Um, is he getting red zone targets or green zone targets if he's a wide receiver? Stuff like that. So, yeah, I think, I think we're pretty much on board with the yards portion of this, Matt. Good stuff. Here's another email, very long one. Again, everybody just try to pay attention to this. This is from Dawson. Would you rather keep Miles Sanders in the seventh round or Debo Samuel in the final round? Half PPR. Sanders. Sanders, for sure. You got all that, guys? Feel good? Yeah. You understood it? Okay, good. And finally, this one is actually kind of long. Joe from Cleveland. This is a regulators question. Esteemed regulators. Where's the music? We have... I don't... Do you want to do, do it? I don't have the okay. capabilities right now. I understand. Go for it. No. Boop, 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 boop. Esteemed regulators. We have an issue with transferring the trophy between champions in our league. Mm. We recently wrapped up two thousand <laughs> We recently wrapped up two thousand nineteen where Chris won it all. Dave, the two thousand eighteen champion, says he didn't get the trophy early enough and he needs more time to quote break her in, end quote. Recourse, any general thoughts on handling trophy transfers? Here's more helpful information. 2017 champion Doug says he tried to get the trophy to 2018 champion Dave, but for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Once I, as the newly appointed commission GM this year, found out at this year's draft, I took it upon myself to pay out of pocket to send the trophy through the mail to Dave so he could have it for at least a little while. So uh, what, what do you think? He's thinking maybe give Dave another month, and then after that month, if he hasn't sent it out to the new champion, impose a $10 a week penalty fee to next year's dues. And next year, make it a known rule to get the trophy to the next champ within a month. Yeah, and I think is like I can empathize with Dave here because he didn't even get the trophy until the draft. He had zero yeah. off-season with the trophy. Now you're telling me he has to give it up as soon as this season is over? I think he should get at least half of the offseason. So take the time from week 16, hopefully you don't have week 17 games, week 16 Sunday to whenever your draft is going to be, split the split the baby, and he gets half of the offseason. That's the only thing that's fair. And I think instead of fining him if he doesn't hit that deadline, I think you go flex suspension. For every week that he doesn't send it in time, suspend his flex for a week. He's just going to quit the league then. <laughs> Which is what he's wanted to begin with. He always wants to eliminate someone from the league. So really, this uh, this worked out perfectly. All right. I would just say that if, uh, if I were getting the trophy and somebody who was giving it to me said he needed more time to break it in, I would be a little bit nervous. That would be a little uncomfortable for me. But... Thank you for the email, Joe from Cleveland, and everybody else, fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Remember to download the HQ app and watch our show next week, Tuesday through Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern, from Radio Row in Miami. We will talk to you on Monday, though, first with another podcast. For Heath, for Ben, I'm Adam. Have a great weekend. Talk to you Monday.